Ladies and gentlemen, welcome up the Sanyin podcast. Today is our Uganda edition, an episode dedicated to Uganda as the Pearl of Africa celebrates 60 years of independence. With me, I'm surrounded by three amazing gentlemen all the way from Uganda. I'll allow them to introduce ourselves and we shall start. So let them introduce ourselves, starting with Amon. Paul and then uh, Eric. Oh, I'm Amon Bagonza. Oh, I come from, of course, the Pearl of Africa, Uganda. Currently, I'm in China doing a PhD in international management. I've got some articles which need to be, with me being as the first author. And back home, I'm working for a company called Nyang Logistics, to be clear, and forwarding. So, it's going to support the business in Uganda, it is an accounting advisory. And then also I'm attached to another company called Trendy Group, majoring in cakes and yeah, party cakes for parties, birthdays, weddings, and everything. But thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much for hosting. Welcome. You're welcome. Amon, Paul, introduce yourself. Uh to all our listeners and my panelists here. Good evening. Um, I'm Sokepo Kalonji. Currently in China, studying, uh, pursuing my bachelor's in civil engineering in Huajun University of Science and Technology. I'm also a student leader for the Students Association in Wuhan. Uh, I'm so glad to be here today to share my ideas as far as uh, Ugandan independence is concerned. Thank you. Welcome, Paul. And finally, Mr. Derek. Yes, hello everyone. I'm called Derek Higa. I'm from Uganda. So basically, I'm pursuing a master's degree. Yeah, my bachelor's degree is in international relations and public admin. Yeah, I did my degree, in, I think, at Macquarie University. So I came to China in 20, probably 2019. So probably that's all. Ali, uh, thank you, gentlemen, for coming. We shall talk English, talk Luganda, we shall interchange, or we shall keep the discussion in Luganda, whichever each of you is comfortable with. Um, the first question is um, that I want to ask you, you gentlemen on the panel is, what do you think is Uganda's biggest achievement in the past 60 years? I'll start with Derek. Probably Uganda's achievements, I think. I would say for, for the last 60 years, like like any other African country, Uganda has achieved a lot, definitely. From infrastructure, of course, talk about the roads, talk about the electricity, talk about the increase in the literacy levels, democracy, what else, what else, the hospitals, communication, the internet. I would say for the case of Uganda, Uganda has, has in like grown as most of the people would had wished seriously because of the problems we've had. I think considering the 50, 50 plus 54 countries in Africa, I think Uganda has had probably eight calls, which is very, very terrible for any developing country. Of course, when you look at other countries in the 1960s and 1970s, like Asian countries, Malaysia, I remember when I was back at university, I studied they called the the Asian Tigers. I think it was South Korea, Taiwan, 
Singapore and Malaysia. Like back then, seriously, when you look at our GDP, seriously, it was somehow similar with Uganda, but of course, a lot of things have changed. Back then, back then, of course, communication was very, very poor. Roads, calling someone, but I think because of the, the global development, Uganda has also achieved through that. For Uganda as a country making our own innovations, I think we still lack in that way, which is very, very common with all African countries. I think we lack this, this touch of, oh, it's, it's, it's our innovation. It's a Ugandan thing. It's a Ugandan thing. We, most of the times we just follow the global trend seriously. So, and you look at the, I, I would say the development of Uganda has, has been as any other African country, seriously. I don't see any other special thing that, oh, this will trigger my mind that, oh, when I talk about Uganda's development for the last 60 years, I think it has been a natural growth. Like, like even though I have my kid at home and I don't give the kid food, but of course the kid will grow. You understand? So, of course, I will talk about the roads, I will talk about the, the hospitals, and someone will claim that, oh, because of a certain president, the country has gotten this. But I, in my mind, I think even if it was one of us or my dad or anyone of us would be the president, the internet would have come to Uganda, phones would have come to Uganda. But of course, I cannot undermine the, I cannot undermine the, the, the development we've had a lot a lot of things so probably that okay. um thank you for that analogy uh amon oh, uh, since independence the number um global kwang took the economy million right now currently i think it's 44 trillion Uganda the budget Actually, it's thirty-six billion. 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 Mm. Uh, US dollars. That's mm -hmm. a huge growth. We've had we've growth of five percent, six percent over some years, and the economy looks to be growing because you have a very, very good the best demographics I think in the world right now. That's the youngest population, meaning it's consumption based population, which is supposed to push the economy forward. So I would say it's and uh, because of I would say because of the better health, not the base, the better health conditions than we had before. People can live longer. We have uh, children, mortality rate is lower, but the biggest would be the economic growth. Though we're not yet where we want to be, we're supposed to be very better in this part. And this should be great for what we have more achieved. And Mkulu uh, Po, what's your opinion on, on, on that issue? Um, if we are to go back in 1962, um, we say that we have independence. You know, we had so many Pan Africanists by then. Uh, we had Neutron or Boto on our side and the others. Uh, we had Jomo Kenyatta on the other side and we had uh, on the other side. You know, these people they had what they called aspirations. And even they gave it them like names like uh, the Trinity Evils, so on. So these three 
uh, aspirations were uh, to fight against poverty, uh, fight against ignorance, and the last one fighting against diseases. So if I'm to evaluate after 60 years, uh, what has Uganda been able to do as far as these three fintech evils are concerned? If I'm to look at the poverty, uh, well, as one of my, my colleagues has said, we have not yet been where we are, where we are meant to be. But if by now, the California independence, the, 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 the level of poverty was around 56, you know, uh, statistics, to drop in something like 23. That is before COVID struck. So, Lavant, okay. Uh, yet, we are on, on a progress. We are on a progress on that. Uh, when I look at the ignorance side, yeah, uh, the government has really uh, strived to put in place uh, schools. And we have seen that the, the number of uh, literates has increased uh, significantly because by the, by the time we, we, we obtain our independence, it was 7% out of the 6 million uh, population of people by then who could read and write. Right now, we are around 74%. You know, that is an achievement as a country. But still, uh, the question, of course, I will come back to it, but the question is still on the quality of this education right now. Yeah. Then the last one is on, um, the other one is about the diseases, how to fight against diseases. Yeah, we have seen so many operations the governments have tried to put in place, uh, fighting against uh, diseases. Hospitals have been uh, built, as my colleagues already stated. Um, no, we have seen like, uh, you know, for example, uh, in mid 80s, uh, when HIV struck the country, you know, right now we have seen what the government has really been able to, you know, at least to reduce the rate of infection. Uh, and also, we have seen how uh, we have really been, uh, we have tried to to fight against what this name, for example, malaria, uh, malaria, Ebola, cholera, you know. Together, around Uganda. Uganda engagement Then another could be question we try to was it was um uh the likeliness of the uni, uh, United Nation, because you know, was a, for example, Bo Abazungu, but they created a state, and for us, the people, we had to create that nation. You know, this is a nation which has so many ethnic groups. I think for example, remember Uganda was written in Yoko Ekolachi, but right now, as we we, uh, we speak, 
we have tried to um, to maintain the cohesion be, be between these ethnic groups because you have you can see the how many intermarriages we are having between the ethnic groups not as it was in the in, in back, back in time uh, you know uh, how people can build homes far from their ethnic regions. So to Avanti, okay, um that's an achievement. Back to you, Mr. Moderator. Okay. Thank you for for that, Mr. Paul. Kakati, the next question I'll ask is what what do you think has been Uganda's image or contribution towards the East African region and Africa as a whole? Because we are in many associations, we're in ESC, we are in COMESA, AU, IGAD. What do you think has been our contribution to them, to our neighbors and the continent as all? I'll start with uh, Derek. I think for the case of East Africa, we shall talk about, I think Uganda has been like very, very fundamental in most of the Peace, peace missions. When you look at Amisom, hope everyone here knows Amisom. Um, it's a it's a joint like army sent to. I think it's it's the Horn of Africa. I think it's Djibouti, Djibouti, Eritrea, and Somalia. Yeah, Djibouti, um, Djibouti, um, Somalia, and Eritrea probably. Yeah, Somalia mostly, like to to keep peace. I think Uganda, like in the whole Amisom. The whole Amisom thing, it has the highest number of troops. I think that has been very, very fundamental. And of course, most of the people talk about Uganda being the police of East Africa. I think for peace, peace missions, seriously, I think for peace missions, Uganda has been very, very fundamental. Of course, of course, the peace missions are very, very subjective depending on which side you view them from because it's a very very big spectrum on which side some people people in government say oh we are doing this to like to keep peace in east africa some say no this this is one of the ways to like to to earn some money or to not make the the army very dormant and docile of course it it somehow depends but all in all, in terms of peace in the region, Uganda has been very, very fundamental. In Somalia, talk about South Sudan, to the extent that most of the people say that it, it's it's the government that is probably controlling, like holding holding this, the, the South Sudanese government, because seriously, if it wouldn't be the, the Ugandan army, like would have like every day, like here, pause day and night. So I think in terms of peace, Uganda has been very, very fundamental in East Africa. And that whole thing of cohesion, having a, a very, very old president, I think this this the like the presidents of the neighboring countries have that guy, have that person, like the godfather, they look up to some things. I think Yes, some might argue that the guy has ruled us for a very long time, but in another way, he he brings that cohesion, like in the community. Uh, for example, if, I think the whole thing when 
Uh, I think it was Kagame had with Congo. It was Museveni. It's it's crazy, man. So then I think Uganda has been like very very fundamental in the tourism, probably in the tourism sector. Because I think, as you guys know, we have the source of the Nile. So, in terms of tourism, a lot of people come to the different parts of Africa. We having the having the source of the Nile. It it runs from Lake Victoria to the Nile to South Sudan, then Sudan, then Egypt. Of course, it's 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 one way. It has the like the river. River Nile has a lot of terms. Uh, Ashwan, they they recently concluded. Uh, I think it's called the. It will be the biggest, the biggest dam in Africa. The one being constructed in Ethiopia. So of course we talk about even the integration. Talk about the market Uganda provides to the different East African goods. It's it's been very very fundamental. Yeah, I would say the market also. Then the the link between uh, the east and the west because it's it's as you know like Kenya like Port Nairobi like Kenya has probably one of the biggest ports all of all most of the landlocked countries in the region use that Burundi and and Rwanda we use that port the link between Kenya and DRC then. Burundi and Rwanda, of course, it's it's also very very fundamental. Then we talk about the Kiswahili language, although it's not very very prominent in in Uganda because of various reasons. But of course, you can talk about it as 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 one way to to link up the different groups of people in the country. So probably easing communication in the region. And uh, man, like seriously, Uganda's role in the region is it's more political. I would say it's more political. I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking from my mind. It's just more political. Seriously, yeah. I think that's all. Uh, okay, okay. I'll go to Mr. Paul. Give us your your analysis of Uganda's contribution to the Great East African region. Yeah, thank you. I think. Uh, most of it, uh, my colleague Delik has touched all of them. Uganda has really played a big role in maintaining that peace and stability in the region. Uh, you know, Congo, Burundi, this, uh, you know, we have the army, but it has turned out to be like the army of East Africa, the army of the, the, the region around. Yes, then, um, uh, uh, Uganda, they've had the playing zero, Yamanino. East Africa, Kuvanga, Maniti, Waliwo, Oxcomogua, Mok Association between West African, South African, then East African, you know, 
so uh, toward the um, we have been so many so 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 much prominent in 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 ensuring that uh, the economic status of East Africa is high. To get the Zako Nyoklawanga, this team, Mowegas, to get Zako Kuanidida, to get Zakulavanti to Tuongera in Tambuzaya, Yamabusi, Pamun Sendalo Kudam, Dala. You know, you don't need to uh, pay those, those all having issues on the other border, you know, as it was in the time. Valoriedi, Kumi, Kenya, Kugende, Uganda, and Amitawana, you know. So identity, there are still some uh, uh, some problems, but still to avanti, which you never see same thing in the awamu, moving from na hijabari tumbolani, itiyo. Munto akose chama buzia manyanti maketi adine Rwanda, adine Tanzania, adine wa. So ito chocha makuru chachi chama makuru niyo. Nchi avanti. Governizad Wamu in East Africa, uh, if I talk about electricity, uh, we have the electricity and together to most of the neighboring countries, you know, we are sharing. And still, we have to say that 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 we have era i think even uh, we are uh, we played a very big role to have congo uh, joining joining east africa uh, the, the old man with their heart also i believe played a very big role a very big role in that uh the bank is on new era the bank is on new east africa uh Mirembe, a bien funa, which are the Burundi. Back to you, Mr. Moderator. Okay, uh, thank you for that, Paul. So, my next question is You have talked um, much about the challenges. Um, okay, the, the Uganda has its potential. There are some challenges here and there. So, I want you to highlight. Why hasn't Uganda reached its potential yet? Why is it like in the 70s we had the same GDP as Singapore, but right now Singapore is ahead of us? Why are we the third economically in East Africa? Is something that Rwanda is exceeding us? Why aren't we there yet? And yet we have existed for 60 years. So I'll start with Amon. Your views on that question? You see, uh, when you look at the GDP and say we are better than Rwanda or others, when you look at the world, uh, calculation of GDP, so they get the richest guy plus the poorest guy. Uh, you look at people who spend 10 million in a club on a single night and you look at someone who doesn't have a single shilling in a day. So the world is distributed unfairly in Uganda, very, very, very unfairly. So a lot of people have, have to get on a long way. And don't have much. So, and leaving that alone, that's made of GDP. But when you look at our economic activity here now, uh, people are not doing well, like the economic ways. Because, first of all, I would say the leadership crisis, the leadership crisis, because the leaders we have, I wouldn't get them to be serious. Maybe they don't know what they're doing. 
you have a financial minister and you are okay with just wake up and then just say just add taxes from nowhere. And then these people who are getting a little bit of money from buying stuff outside, they're picking up the business. All you have these people who come in from the government to take over your company because you know what, anybody. So we are, I would say one of the challenges as to why we're not always supposed to be out call it the music crisis. Lack of models, basically. These leaders come from us. We are the ones who are elected. So they come from a society. We play through with us. I would say leadership crisis and lack of morals and models. Okay. Uh, I'll go to Mr. Derek. Your views on that? So, what's the question? <laughs> Sorry. Like, <laughs> the, <laughs> no, no, it's okay. It's okay. No, like, why has Uganda reached its potential? Yeah. Why haven't we reached the potential we are supposed to have reached? Yeah. Of course, of course, definitely. A lot of people will talk about how the whites exploited us, but I think it's it's very crazy when you talk about the whites exploiting Africans. I think let me use the case scenario of East Africa. We people talk about how the whites or they store the minerals, but come on, the whites left sixty years ago. Yes, I think Amon has talked about the GDP, but the reality is that when you talk about um, the East African community and Africa as large. Uh, I was making when, like, when you guys sent me the questions, I was making some research about this. And when you look at the population, like the whole GDP of the US, probably, I think the GDP of the US is probably $18 trillion. And the whole of Africa, like the GDP, is $2.9 trillion. So the whole of US, like, that, that's it's crazy, man. We talk about uh, Kenya, of course, right now in Kenya, Kenya is the our big boy, the big boy in the house. With the, the, I think it's right now Kenya is the ninth biggest economy in Africa, with estimate a, a with a GDP of three hundred eight billion dollars. You look at Tanzania, it's sixty four billion. You look at Uganda, Uganda is thirty six billion. Then uh, uh, Rwanda eighteen. Then um, Burundi is three. But seriously, look at the disparity between Uganda and Tanzania, Uganda and Kenya. Yes, it's it's very, very crazy. Man. Seriously, from $3.8 billion, that's Kenya, to the second biggest economy in East Africa, which is Tanzania, 64. The disparity is very, very, very big. Seriously, you look at the economy, seriously, apart from Kenya, I think Tanzania is also trying because I think it's it's when I I think last year I think the UN I think the last year I think the IMF pronounced them as middle income status country. Then we still in New in South Africa we still have Uganda, Rwanda, and, and Burundi. Of course, I cannot consider Burundi to consider to be one of the poorest countries in the world. We just we just say a GDP of three billion. Seriously. Three billion, like when you look at California, just like you get a state in the US, California has a GDP of $3.4 trillion. So like the whole, I think just one person can fund the whole budget of Burundi, three, three billion. So come on, it's, it's a lot, seriously. When we are comparing ourselves with different East African countries, I think a lot has to be done. The whole thing why Uganda hasn't like achieved its potential right now, I think it is the time we need like to invest 
in our priorities seriously budget cuts it's one personally i would i at least at least I, I would I would I would focus on that if I had any position in government budget cuts we we just spend unnecessarily seriously a lot of things have to change a lot of things have to change the way we spend the money the way we spend the money we live extravagantly seriously we just don't know how to spend we look at the elections in Kenya of course the way they spend the money of course they have the money but look at the GDP of the country. In Kenya, Kenya has only 22 ministers. Uganda has 81. So you understand? 81. Really, 81 ministers. What are they going to do? You look at the UK. The UK, I think it has 13 ministers, but we have 81. We spend a lot of money in administration. We have over 153 districts. 153 districts. Seriously, such things, such things. Of course, administrative costs are very, very, very high. Are very, very, very high. So, of course, corruption, man, in every other country. Corruption, corruption, corruption is the way to go. Corruption has to be dealt with. Corruption has to be dealt with, seriously. Of course, we shall have all these discussions, but if money, if the money like collected from the taxes is not budgeted well. This will be just normal banter. Thank you very much. Yeah, that that was insightful. Um, I remember um, someone was saying that um, the reason why we have 81 ministers is because Uganda has many, there are many tribes and ethnicities in Uganda. So the president wants to make sure each part has a, you know, a person in government. Yeah, so, it's it, it, it's crazy to this to the point that you look at uh, MPs like member of parliament, like I, I mean, like I think we have a we have a member we have a constituency which has only one thousand people, like one thousand. So probably if it was in China, every university would have like like fifty MPs. Then what of those who say that the 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 districts are increased because to increase um, service delivery, bring services closer to the people. Service delivery and districts. Okay, I, I, I at least I know a bit of politics. I'm very I'm a politics fanatic. Okay, you see how it's done in Kenya. You see, I think Kenya has probably two hundred and nine, two hundred and fifty-three constituencies. So those are two hundred and fifty-three members of parliament. So what they do because i think for the case of uganda i think the constitution says like if a particular area like exceeds i think 20,000 people or 50,000 i don't know i don't know or 50,000 people then it's given a constituency so that's that's a member of parliament so how is that in kenya is that they said we shall only have the, I think the new constitution the 2010 constitution which was enacted they said i think the country will have i'm not very certain with the number uh, Going to be corrected. I think 253 constituencies. So every 10 years they have a population census. So they do not have like defined boundaries for constituencies. So every every year they like draw different boundaries. So they I, I don't know they are Uganda they are Kenya counting body because in Uganda you have the Uganda Bureau of Statistics. So they are counting body. What they do is that they count the number of people probably in Kampala 
and they say, oh, the people in Kampala have increased, then the people in Wakiso have reduced. So now they will draw a different boundary of the number of people, but still maintaining the 256 constituencies, not how it's done in Uganda, because in Uganda, if like probably a, an area, let me say like Kayunga, Kayunga, the number of people increase and they exceed a specific number. Now that's a new constituency. Now that's a new constituency. Now that's a member of parliament. Really, we, ca we cannot move like that seriously. The US has 50 states for as long as I've known. China has, I don't know, 50, 30, 36 provinces and probably four, uh, four sub-autonomous uh, regions. Come on, there is no country which operates like that, that every 10 years or every five years, there are new constituencies, there are new members of parliament. We've reached an extent of even building a new parliamentary building. Really, what's that? Yeah, you know, directly may, may, may be right because I believe the number of districts uh, is, is too much to extend that we are spending a lot of money, even where we are not meant to spend. And for me, I've, I've always failed to accept that it is because of service delivery that these districts are created. There is a political element in it that we are seeing mostly districts, most of the districts being created in one region of the country than the other. There is a question, why isn't that a balanced distribution if it is for the, for, for, for the, uh, for the service delivery. If you look at the south, if you look, look at the southwest region of Uganda, it has most of the, most of the what? Most of the um, districts. Come, come to the central and eastern, they have very many, very like, the districts are very big, you know? And, and whenever we see districts being introduced, we are seeing on, on the we are seeing them on the one side of the region. Why? If it's for the service delivery, if we are looking into the population, which region has the biggest population? If it is for service delivery, it is the central, right? It is the central which has the biggest. If it's for the service service delivery, for me, I don't really agree that it is for the service delivery, and it is costing us the as costing as much as the country. So, like I said, yeah. you know? Like I said, so my question would be like, for example, if you say five still labor, okay, let's suppose uh, those districts, those new districts are not created. Do our leaders have the will and the, and the desire to develop the country, to bring priorities that develop the country, or are they affair on political agenda? That goes back to the leadership crisis we have. Because if we had leaders who are focused on developing Uganda, even if there are many, everyone, whatever, but as long as the policies the world that are developing Ugandans, developing the poor people, making a poverty alleviation program correctly, not these uh, funny, funny things they did. I don't know how they call them, Operation Wealth Creation, where money disappears in nowhere, neither nothing happens, right? If we had the will, if our leaders had the, the will to develop the country correctly, we would be very much developed. But we don't have leaders who are willing to develop Uganda after on political agenda. And actually, if I may add on, if I may add on what Simon has said, yeah, uh, you know, most of these leaders we are voting uh, to go to represent us, uh, 
they are not the decision takers. Mostly, they are not the decision takers. Most of most the, the way the system of our politics is run is run on caucus. You know what they decide as a caucus is the decision. Everyone, whether you 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 accept it or not, you have to go by. And who runs the caucus? It is just a few people who always have their own interests. So you have to always serve the interests of that of those few people. So I believe I believe that we are still having a problem as a country. Okay. Um, I might ask you, uh, you gentlemen, one question is: Do you think when Uganda starts exporting oil, our economic challenges will be solved? No. I'll start with Derek. Oil. Okay. So okay, it's very good. You've talked about the oil. I think oil. It is oil. Of course, if like um, it, it's it's used in a very appropriate way. Of course, it's very very important. But of course, in Africa, we've seen a lot of examples, specifically in Africa. Of course, of course, of course, oil is very very important. Of course, when you look at the countries in the Middle East, Kuwait, Jordan, uh, UAE, Saudi Arabia, uh, Qatar. They've used oil to ignite their economies, like to develop their economies. Of course, right now, I think they've now ventured into other things like tourism and uh, and agriculture. But at least oil, oil was like, was that thing that like pushed the economy to where it is right now. But case and night, we've seen scenarios in Africa countries like Nigeria, Angola. Right now, I think Angola has the big, it's like before was the biggest exporter of oil in the whole of Africa. But man, when you like, you reach the, the capital of Angola, Luanda, like you see the, the very, very big disparity in the disparity in the with, with the people in the government, I think recently the the president the, until twenty twenty seventeen, Angola's president Eduardo Santos was one of the longest serving presidents in Africa. Then he fell sick, he fell ill, then gave his defense minister. Then they had some conflicts. Then the guy fled the country, but the daughter to Eduardo Santos, the lady had become Africa's richest Africa's richest person, probably. Afri no, not Africa's, the richest, the, the richest female person in Africa. I think she was estimated to one billion plus, I don't remember. I think she owned 80% of, of all the oil exporting companies like she, I think her company had all the licensing uh, authorities. So it's it's very crazy. Again, it comes with discipline. Of course, oil is very very important. If it's handled very very well, it can develop the country. But again, it can be the case which is seen in Nigeria. For the last twenty thirty years, Nigeria has been exploiting oil. People talk about Nigeria having the highest number of rich people in Africa. 
But of course, it also has the biggest population. But oil can be a blessing and a curse. So it's a double sword. It's double. It's, 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 it can be a thing, really. It can be a thing. It can be a thing, really, if it's handled well. Some interdiction. And Nigeria is the biggest economy in Africa by far. It's bigger than South Africa and Egypt. Okay. But of course, it is, of course, but of course it is attributed to a lot of things when you look at its population. Nigeria probably has a probably has a population of two hundred plus million, million people. South Africa has like sixty plus million people. So of course, of course, definitely South Africa has much more minerals and resources. But and resources, Nigeria has, yeah, yeah, has Nigeria. Been, well, yeah. oil has benefited Nigeria to uh, significantly, though it still has some economic challenges like Angola, like. Other African countries, so right. Yeah. But for the case of Uganda, oh sorry, uh, for I was just going for for the sake of Uganda, oil first of all, it's crude oil, it's not refined at all, and it's through a pipeline. And if you look at the contract itself, sixty-two percent of the shares of that crude oil thing is belongs to Total, right? And then others are given portion to proportion. And if you look at it uh, more closely. Uh, it's crude oil, like we say, it's not refined, so we don't expect any significant economic change because of the situation. We know what's happening. Uganda is embedded, I mean, embedded with a lot of corruption and stay, uh, politically owned thing, right? So I don't see any from my oil, you know, you know, story. I don't see any significant change in economic status of Uganda, Uganda as a country. But as individuals, maybe it will change, like some Nigerian majors or general to took over some oil companies. But for the case of Uganda, the country, I don't see that happening. So actually, for me, um, uh, I, I will side with my colleague Amon. I don't think uh, the closest solution to our problem of poverty is the oil, because, for example, uh, do have you been knowing that as a Uganda has a country, we have been having so many other minerals which are being exploited. We have gold in Uganda, we have lithium, we have so many other minerals. Uranium. Do the people even know them? People know, don't know about them. Why? It is because it is being run by a specific group of people. When you go to Mugende, you, you will see that gold is in the hands of a very few hands of it. So what for me, I think is that, and if I may, if, if I may add on, I don't think like countries like uh, Congo or that those countries with so many minerals uh, that they are failing or that it is this gold, like these minerals that they're having, which are going to be like the social because we are still having a problem of our leaders. The problem is still the leaders we are having. You know, they always uh, want to utilize these minerals for their self benefit, not for the benefit. That's the only challenge we are having. I'll just add on something very simple, small about the oil. Uh, when you talk about early days, you, think, you may think it's something that's not going to exhaust. It's exhausted, but we have, it's estimated 6.5 billion barrels 
and only 2.5 billion barrels are recoverable, meaning that four are not recoverable. So you're only looking at 2.5 billion barrels. And if you look at, say, you're using this maximum uh, maximum capacity that Russia was using of 2 million barrels per day, you need 1,000 days. It was about roughly about five years, and the oil is exhausted, nothing else. And all you need the deconstruction, the environment, I mean, changing the environment, the impact environment for that deconstruction you make. Basically, I don't see any, anything coming up. Um, okay. Um, my my next question is something uh, I, I have realized when I came to China is when you when you ask people where are you from and you say Uganda, most people will, will say is that the place of Museveni, Idi Amin, <laughs> blah blah blah. So like, <laughs> I don't know. We are we are remembered for our leaders most you know in more in a negative light than what we have to offer like i would be happy if someone said is that the land of chiptege you know is that the land of the nile something like that so it comes to my question where do you think uganda has gone wrong in terms of marketing itself i'll start with paul oh thank you well uh this goes back still to our leaders i don't want to i don't want to say it but you know always the problems of our countries are surrounding our leaders how they have managed uh to sell us as a country how they have managed the country itself so uh now for the person you asked maybe um was was open enough to tell you like maybe he knows Museven. people we all you always say i mean the land of i mean because that's the only thing they remember, the brutality of Amin, you know. So this goes back to the image our leaders have, 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 have built to the international arena. You know, we as a Uganda, the, the, the once known power of Africa, how have we sold it to the outside country? You see, how have we? The tourism sector itself, what has it done? Because if you see, Uganda is a very, very rich country, very rich in all aspects. Let me tell you, if we, we are to go in, uh, in tourism, maybe Mr. Amon may, be, Amon may be knowing this, the birdings. Uganda, we are having so many species of birds. But would you hear it somewhere that someone knows like Uganda has richest or the, the, the most of the species of birds in Africa? No. And if you go to the locals, let me speak, start from the locals. Do the local people know about all this? The answer is no. Why? You know, it means that if we are to sell our country before maybe to selling it to outside the world, it, start, it has to start from the locals. Because it is these local, local people who are going to move from the country to other countries, maybe, and they will be spreading the gospel about the country. But if I know nothing about my country, there has been no sensitization. There has been no, uh, uh, you know, if like, for example, tourism, I haven't seen so many drives in, 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 uh, or sensitization for local tourism. Because if I go to tour 
the National Game Park and I'm, I'm, I'm charging dollars. What does that mean? Charging me in my local currency and relatively cheaper so that maybe I know about something. And also the thing is like, well, this is history. For example, if people know us about, uh, about Amin and all that, it's okay because it is history. I've seen countries like China, how they have managed to, to keep their his, the history of their country because they know it is as well uh, something uh, worth the people knowing, you know? So it's all about having a collection of many things, uh, you know, all aspects like, you know, dualism, our politics, our culture, our environment, having all those things sold out to the people and to the outside world. That's what I can say. Yeah. Um, Derek, uh, as, as you respond, I'd want to also ask, uh, do you think um, things like Uganda Airlines will help? As you answer the question, do you think now that you have a national career, that will help in promoting Uganda to the outside world? Well, I think as as the person who has at least uh, thought through the whole debate about how Uganda handles its foreign policy, I don't have, personally, I don't think we have a foreign policy, seriously. Because when you see certain things, I think it will be very, very intentional, the things like we do abroad. The reality is that it is reflected with within even the society. In a country like Uganda, where we have certain embassies that don't even make sense. In Uganda, we have the embassy of Slovenia. How many Ugandans go to Slovenia? We have the consulate of Syria. We have the consulate of Bangladesh. I, I went all, I, at least I, I know where they are located. All these, these embassies. Why should someone, I personally went to the embassy of Sweden and I was bounced. Why should someone go to the embassy or probably all Sweden and I apply for a visa and I'm, I'm supposed to pay a certain amount. And if I am denied visa, I'm not refunded that the money is non-refundable. These things have to be very, very intentional. Of course, we all know white people are bullies. Chinese are bullies, I think. I think when I was at university, we studied called gun, gun boat diplomacy. Is that Uganda signing a treaty with China? Of course, we all know it. It will never be fair. We all know that's gun boat diplomacy. It will never be fair. And of course, I blame part, partly. I blame like partially the. Of course, the leaders. I will continue to blame the leaders. Like for them, not not again venturing on what what they're supposed to be venturing, because like I think recently I think it was ten years ago, there is a story that ran that the government invested. I think it was I don't know, but it was a lot of money. It was twenty thousand dollars for Uganda to be talked about. I think to for Uganda. I think it was CNN to run a story about Uganda. I think every minute the government used $20,000. I think it was very, very costly. But the whole thing is why invest all that money in marketing a country? Why, seriously? 
you plot about the, the national career. Yes, a national career is a very, very big tool of marketing. Like when you look at Kenya, like Kenya Airways. A national career is not enough. Kenya Airways is accompanied with Kenyatta, Jomo Kenyatta International Airport. Ugandan Airlines is accompanied with Entebbe Airport. For me, at least for the airports I have seen, I think Entebbe Airport is a very big airstrip, not an airport. It's, 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 it's as cliche as it sounds. We do not have a foreign policy, seriously. We do not have a foreign policy. You look at the ambassadors we send to these different countries, they're just political failures. I don't know about the qualifications of the ambassadors, but I doubt any of them is a career diplomat. I want an ambassador who has probably a PhD in diplomacy and international relations. Can our so, can how are you? Are you saying our foreign policy is your boy? We do not have a foreign policy. I would say that. Would, yes, we do not have a foreign policy. I tell you because the foreign policy is attributed with a lot of things. Having a Ugandan ambassador in Sweden, known for the case of sending a diplomat in Sweden, but can that person like strike deals that oh in Uganda we have uh, different things? Uh, can you invest in this? We have an extent of having the Iranian embassy. We have the Iranian embassy in Uganda. How many Ugandans have ever gone to Iran? Slovakia, Slovenia, Bangladesh, Syria, seriously, Syria, Algeria. Algeria, we have, it's, it's Poland, but we do not have the Spanish embassy. We don't, we do, Uganda does not have a Spanish embassy to the extent that if you want to go to Spain, you have to use the French embassy. Uh, we do not have Canadian embassy, and I think we have a very, very small consulate. Then okay. Irish, uh, Irish, I think Irish embassy, Irish embassy, yes, we have Irish embassy is with the Danish embassy. So like you look at all those things and you just think about Wow, what's our foreign policy? Is it even intentional that all the government is, has posted a certain ambassador in a specific country? I remember in 2019, the Ugandan ambassador to China was Dr. Crispus Chionga. The guy wanted to run for member, MP, member of parliament in his hometown. After, when COVID hit, the guy ran I'm sorry to be, uh, probably I'll be corrected if I'm wrong, but the guy went back home to the extent that they, you, they, we spent like some time without an ambassador. It's crazy when you hear such stories. Two years ago, I don't know about it, but the Ugandan ambassador in Dubai, the ladies Indian, of course, of course, Ugandan, but with Indian, you, Indian descent, of course, Ugandan, but with Indian origin. And myself, I'm not like I'm discriminating any such a way, but of the lady couldn't, could not even speak a local language with the Ugandans there. Seriously, we do not have, we do, I think we, it, it's like when you hear a lot of stories, 
Jordan, Kuwait, where a lot of Ugandans are, uh, are going to work. We don't, don't have embassies. Vietnam, I, I'm not very, very much sure, but of course, people concentrate on the US and the UK. But of course, with, with the only small consulate we have in Washington. So for the foreign policy, no, we do not have. I think those are middle income problems. We still have a lot of problems with foreign policy. The Ugandan career, yes, in the near future, in the near future, it will be very, very important. Thank you. Well, we've touched on an issue that I think I want us to discuss. Uganda's open door policy that happens with refugees. You know, we have the highest number of refugees in all of Africa. We are, we are open door policy. Recently, we had refugees from Afghanistan coming, and some people are like, in the long run, this will affect the local community because we are being, you know, fighting for the available resources. Others are saying that uh, the government line is if during a means time Ugandans were refugees, why can't we also host people? So I want to ask your 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 opinion on Uganda's open door refugee issue. I'll start with Amon. Um, I think it's good though some of the refugees is on making. For example, the Sudanese crisis and the Congo crisis, who are part players of a, who contribute to the refugee crisis, refugees coming to Uganda. But for the Afghanistan case, there's an en route to other countries. We just put there for temporarily for the settled out to go to the return country without political asylum. But I think, generally thinking, on a, on paper, we have a very good refugee policy of being welcoming. Ugandans are welcoming people. Okay, uh, Paul, your point on that? Yeah, I will stand with Amon about that. It's something very good because you have to look look at it in the way that uh, today it might be the other country in this crisis, but next day it might be your country, and we may in the same crisis, and we may need the same uh, the same treatment, you know. Uh, but in the spirit uh in which it has always been done there has always been um uh some bit of unfairness in it you know uh to the extent that you know it is raising questions to the to to, to the people of those regions where comes are comes are put in place you know fighting for the resources these people uh, who are in the camps they don't spend camp for a long time you know, some escape and go to the neighbor, neighboring communities, uh, you know. And we have always asked ourselves that, that why? Let me tell you, like, we are having refugees as far as Somali, Somalia, you know. And these people, like, they are receiving a big chunk of money. Let me tell you, a big chunk of money. So when a local person happens to know about this, I'll be like, why is this person receiving? They are not working. They are not. They are. They are adding nothing to the country. They are staying within the population. Uh, that they are, they are. They are being paid. You know. We as a country, we are losing out in in one way or another. But still, you know, 
there has always so many there has been so many issues around uh refugee like we are having ghost refugees you know we have had a very many stories about that uh um, but you know i believe it's something good yeah that's my take okay uh derek your your views on that the whole thing about refugees is very very subjective again depending on which spectrum you are viewing it from i think recently i saw a story of people in the north i think i don't know the districts whether it's um dan or moyo where where the the, the, the refugees are but you see like people in the area are even starting to register like real ugandans are starting to register themselves as refugees because the refugees eat well <laughs> seriously the refugees live a better life than ugandans so people like real real ugandans go to the the, the refugee camp and the guy says i'm from south sudan i'm not a ugandan because he also wants to eat well because of the benefits the government gets i think last year the the un uh, the un general secretary gutierrez came to uganda and of course praised the the country of the good of border policy yes yes in a brotherhood a spirit is very very good but again it costs the country with a lot of resources it stress the, the reality is that it stresses the country but of course you will never know what will happen but again if it was like it was beneficial like to the whole country of course the refugees it's like refugees are just a humanitarian thing we do not need like to benefit from them but I've, of course a lot of people have heard stories of how uh, like every day the country is, in, is opening its borders to refugees because of the benefits that are accompanied with, with the increasing number of refugees i think uganda has now 1.5 million refugees kenya right now is closing its biggest refugee camps uh, telling people from telling its refugees from somalia and ethiopia to go back because there was sending ending because it's like the refugee thing is stressing them of course it's 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 very very difficult those are one like some of the specific specific topics like to find a remedy for them is really really it's 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 crazy seriously so that's my take um i'll go on our our, our last question of, of the discussion um Uganda has the youngest population, uh, majority are the youth. Um, so what role do you think the youth have in the development of Uganda, changing Uganda for a better society? You, you know, there is this famous analogy with Uganda where we are the youngest population, but the leaders are the oldest. So we as the youth, how can we change Uganda for a better society i'll start with amon yeah going on going along with what one of the uh leaders said in uganda that where would someone who is going to die tomorrow plan because we're going to be alive 40 years time to come <laughs> like with the only that we have for the youngest population but 
chronological demographics, we are blessed with how the youngest population in the world. I would say the youngest population is 50% is below the age of 30. That is the best age because, first of all, it provides labor force. It means you have the labor force of more than 50 years, people working. That means if you have um, industries and everything, that's what they practice, you have the labor force to work every day, meaning you're going to develop your country, the economy will jump up. Secondly, you have consumption. That population is the age of 30. Below the age of 30, they're not like the 60s, like people you see in Germany or Italy or Japan, who are after uh, uh, sending money to the stock markets, buying shares and then saving all the money. This is a population which is supposed to be spending consumption, meaning whatever you're going to produce is what is going to, going to be consumed by the population. So we are at a very big advantage if we can change our policies and look at the development of the country and do things that benefit the youth. So see, we have the best advantage in the population. And Paul, your views on that? Yeah. Yeah, when I look at the uh, issue concerning the youth, uh, you know, about our population, which is approximately over um, 47 million and almost 70, I don't know, you might correct me if I'm wrong, 70% youth. Uh, here we are talking at the productivity of the population. You know, and um, what has the government put in place to ensure that it accommodates all these youth? You know, as my uh, Amuna said, you know, this is the labor force, the engine of the country, but how have you utilized them? Or even how do you have to prepare them? We as a country, we are losing out because the biggest chunk of youth are, are exiting the country to other countries for better pastures, as they call it. You know, any single person left, we see that we are losing that one brain. You see, we are losing the energy that person, you know, we are losing everything that one person, any stone he or she would have had it on the country. On the development of the country. The, the, the government itself has to empower the youth. Firstly, educate them with the quality the, with, with that uh, quality education. You know, the quality education. And still, and still, what have you put in place to accommodate them in employment? Because mostly are employed. Most of the youth are unemployed. Why? No. Yes, they, we, yes uh, we, I don't want to forget that the, the, the government is not trying, but either it hasn't done enough or it is using uh, inappropriate measures to, 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 to cure this problem. You know, we have seen so many operations, the youth operations and all what, but they are not working. So it is upon the government to really think big to have the people, uh, the youth, uh, accommodated. And still, and I, I still want to stress on this, providing that 
necessary education. We are, if, if we are to look at the countries, uh, the so-called developed countries, they don't joke when it comes to their youth generation. Look at the country as China. They put in place that you have to be educated and they have provided all the means. They, 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 they have provided, uh, um, they have set the qualifications. So each person knows I have to go to school, I have to study hard because I have to, I have to had a stone or a brick on my country. Has the government done much to 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 uh, ensure this patriot patriotism in the in the youth? I think not yet. There. Yet we are the ones who have to change the country right now because all our leaders, uh, as uh, as Amon did say, you know, why would someone all really think? Uh, I don't know how you say. It, but you know, uh, it, it, it just brings it all out that we have to be accommodated in the economy of the country, politics of the country. Yes, I believe we can change the world, the country. Thank you. And uh, Derek, you can conclude on that matter. Okay, so I think for the whole thing about the youth, like, I think it's all probably gonna being one of the top three youngest populations in the world. I think for the whole case of having a very youthful population is is not embedded in the brains of a lot of Africans. The reality is that when you see right now the big economies, people like countries in the Europe or the Asia or the Americas, right now they are very much struggling with the aging population. I saw a report that this year, uh, Japan will surpass China as the biggest population in the world because most of the people in China don't want to have kids. I think they prefer um, sexless marriages, childless marriages. And they said in the next 10 years, the population of Japan will reduce by 5 million. Sorry? Are you saying India or Japan? It's Japan India. India, I'm talking about India will surpass India will yeah. surpass China mm -hmm. this year. It's it's projected India will surpass China as the biggest population in the whole world because most of the people in China prefer to like to have childless marriages and uh, like childless marriages. And you talk about Japan, it was also projected that in the next ten years, Japanese population will reduce by five million to the extent that currently the average age of Japan is, I think, 60-something. It has a very, very big aging population state. I think the technical term is all the aging tendency. It's very, very crazy to the extent that it affected, I think it was Spain and Italy during the first wave of the COVID. I think the COVID wave, the first, a lot of like elderly people died. Go to uh, Canada. Yeah, a lot Canada, a lot of old people, seriously, a lot of old people to the extent now they're encouraging more immigrants. I think it's the same thing with Japan now. But but I think the problem with Japan is that since it's it's more of a more conservative country, I think now they prefer robots. 
but like when you say a lot of documentaries, they like they refer Japan as a very, very sexless society. Yeah, they don't they don't assume pleasure like with a pleasure in society or a, a that that they do not attach importance to like having a kid in society. As what in Africa we we refer as a typical family. I think they 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 are very okay with having like a like cohabiting, not cohabiting, like being together until they die without having a kid. So I think with our population, it's very very youthful. With better improved social services, manufacturing equipment, um, like the the young population will be very, very important like to improve the ability to use the technologies and uh, enhancing the, uh, right now, the the disappearing parenting skills, improving social skills. And uh, of course, with the younger, with the very, very young population, at least you have a guaranteed, a guaranteed generation, which is not the case with certain populations to the extent that you go to Japan now and schools are closing, man. Like a school closed because they no longer have kindergarten kids like to teach. So we do not want to hear such stories. But again, it's a it's a double-edged sword. When we say, okay, now we, we want like more, we want a bigger population. Now Africans misuse it having 20 kids, 30 kids, you can't look after them. In this generation, there are a lot of youths that you don't have even anything, but you want to get married, having eight kids, seven kids. And again, we blame the government, how the government hasn't provided jobs, but you have eight kids, you understand? So I think it also goes back to our personal discipline, managing our lives as individuals, and uh, of course, with the equitable government planning and improved resources, government programs, and a clear sense of direction of the country, the aging population can be a very big blessing to any country in the world. Yeah. Um, we have come to the end of the podcast. Um, but before I let you guys leave, I just want you to each say uh, what makes you proudly Ugandan. And I'll start with Paul, Derek, then Amos. Uh, what makes me up about Ugandan? Uh, I believe I believe that you, uh, we as the country, uh, we are having a, a very, 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 very uh, beautiful environment, uh, which I cannot even uh, be afraid to talk about, you know. We are having our diversified culture, very nice and interesting to tell. So uh, I always, that's why, you know, when I, I be here, I always, always want to join the cultural traditions and that because I feel like there is, that's something unique in us which we have to tell to the world. I always feel bold enough to, 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 to showcase what 
how where I come from looks like because I'm proud I'm proud about that. Thank you. So what makes me truly proud? What makes me truly proud, Uganda? I would say the whole thing of uh, being Ugandan as a black person, like like that sense of pride of coming from a country. I think it's it's very very it's very very important. Of course, because forgetting the whole problems we have back home, but at least with the beautiful people, the community that raised me, the friends I grew up seeing, and what I knew what life was before living in the country is truly, and the experiences that I went through as an individual in my country truly just defined what truly Uganda is, which is not the case with certain countries. Of course, we, you look at the problems the country has, but the mere fact that it gave me all these opportunities, I am really, really, it's, it's, it's a blessing to, to be a Ugandan man. Yeah, and I'm on. Yeah. So, you know, there's that, there's that tremor saying, English saying that Easter wisdom is the best. Day. So, even before uh, these uh, colonialists came over to Uganda, our ancestors were there already in a country that was called Uganda. So we have that blood in us from way back then. Remember that real, real native, but since then we've been in Uganda. For part of Uganda, Uganda runs through our blood. And we look at Uganda as a country, all over the fresh water, the fresh air, the natural environment, natural fruits, natural everything, the friendliness of everyone. It really makes me feel like, yeah, this is the best place I could be in the country. And now we have so many bad things happening, negative things happening around us, but still, that's family, that's home. And I'm proud to be here. I appreciate it. And happy independence, all of you. And thank you for coming.